Good morning. How are you today? This is what we call, uh, this weather that we're having is what we call a pastor's weekend, where it's beautiful Friday, beautiful Saturday, miserable and cold Sunday. <laughs> it's like God is using the weather to hold us hostage. Really have nothing to do but go to church. Can't be outside, can't work on the yard. So we're just thankful for a great pastor's weekend. Yeah. Uh, today we're picking up on our series called The Heart of Generosity, Lessons from Nehemiah. How many of you were here last week? How many of you weren't here last week? How many of you honestly cannot remember? <laughs> I get that. I honor that. Uh, so last week, if we can just recap, last week... Uh, Pastor Drew Johnson was here from our McKenzie campus. Delight to have him with us. And last week, Drew shared with us that he's a covenant God, a covenant-keeping God who keeps his promises. And this was the prayer of Nehemiah as he just reflected on how good God was, a covenantal God. And uh, Drew led us through this Acts model of praying, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And I really appreciate Drew going there because, as you know, Drew is uh, just a wonderful man of, of prayer. And just to reflect on that being the root of the book of Nehemiah. If you're not real familiar with Nehemiah, very simple story where we have the children of Israel in exile... And Nehemiah is deeply grieved when he hears reports back from Jerusalem that the place is a mess. Nehemiah appeals to the king, Artaxerxes, and asks the king to release him to go back uh, to Jerusalem and uh, rebuild the wall, restore this ancient city. And that's essentially the story of Nehemiah and uh, the opposition that he faces to to rebuild the wall. But the heart of the thing, it's not about task, it's not about performance, it's about Nehemiah remembering the heart of God. And God had promised to bless his people, and it wasn't really looking that way at that point. So Nehemiah steps into action. Beautiful story. So that's where we were last week. Today, we're going to look at a generous vision for our church. And yes, junior highs, if you haven't left yet, you're probably going to want to soon anyways. <laughs> I get that a lot. You know, I've shared this with you before that preaching is defined as the fine art of talking in someone else's sleep. <laughs> so if you're a junior high, escape now. Well, you can. Today we're going to talk about a generous vision for our church, four points. We're going to talk about the exile ethos, the excavation, the examination, and enough. Four simple points. You guys ready? You doing okay? Because you look good. You really do. I mean, I can't see you at all, but you look great. I sort of see your vague outlines, and your outlines look terrific. Terrific. <laughs> 
So the exile ethos, we're going to look at a little bit of Nehemiah chapter 1, 2, and 3. Not anything extensively, but I'm just pulling out some thoughts that I want to share along the lines of our theme from Nehemiah. In chapter 1, the word uh, came to Nehemiah. They said to him, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Obviously, the ethos of the exile is very discouraging. You can see from the highlighted words in yellow there on the screen, great trouble and disgrace. These are not words of good report. They tend to be even a little bit on the superlative side, not just trouble, but great trouble. I looked that up in the Hebrew and it actually means great trouble. (laughs) And there's an accompanying feeling with it. It's not just a state, a problematic state of disrepair and abandonment and exile. But notice the next word here is, is an emotive word, disgrace. I don't know about you, but I find when things are falling apart, when things are breaking down, it does take a toll on me emotionally. There's a heaviness that accompanies the physical state of disrepair and and the city. It's not just that the people have been taken captive and dragged off into exile. There's some have escaped, some have made it back to the province. But just the physical disrepair starts to manifest in the emotional realm. We get that. For some folks in our church, this has been an incredibly difficult year, a couple years with the economic downturn. Lots of difficulty going on, many different situations. People with family difficulties, marriage difficulties. I've spoken with all kinds of families, having uh, relationship problems, problems with kids. I'm not here to depress you this morning, but you know what I'm talking about. Almost every person in this room has been through a measure of literal physical circumstances that leave us feeling that disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down and then the gates are burned with fire. There's different manifestations all pointing to the same problem. They have become the victims of war. Now slaves dragged off and held captive in a country that is not their own. There's an ethos to this exile that's kind of heavy. On the next slide, I just want to ask you this simple question. Is the damage irreparable? When we face problems, when we have difficulties... Does this mean that we're hopeless, that there's no way of coming back? Of course not. Even this week, we were praying into uh, just some situations, difficulties that people are going through. As we do every week, we're praying for our Son West family. And this Thursday, as we were in prayer, um, Jeff Marshall shared some thoughts with us at the prayer time uh, that I'm going to ask Jeff to come this morning and share a few of these thoughts and just thoughts about our church and what God is saying. Jeff, as you know, is our executive pastor, but also very sensitive to the things of the Lord and what the Lord is saying. So I just thought it would help us. Go ahead, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. 
It'll come in two seconds. It's on there. There we go. Good morning. Well, as Mark said, we were uh, praying this week, and each week I uh, spend some time asking the Lord um, about what's going on, what he wants to do in SunWest, how does he feel about things, and uh, I've been feeling sort of a heaviness over the last few weeks, um, actually probably longer than that, but for a while now, and we knew that as we came into this year, um, we started off with the prayer and fasting, and that was really significant, and we we heard God say that he wanted to do some new and, and different things in SunWest, and, and that's always exciting and amazing. But it's weird that, you know, now we're in this phase that seemed kind of heavy, and there were all these things, there's things going on within the body. And the Lord, in the gentle way that he does things, just pointed out to me that, um, as I asked him about SunWest, is that there were things that are going on, where there are things that are being said, um, things that are being spoken, thoughts that people are having. Um, and please, don't hear any of this as a condemnation. It's just the gentle way that the Lord um, reveals things to us. But you know, as he was showing me that, he, he was showing me that people were um, having thoughts of, you know, we've been through this transition at SunWest, and, and it doesn't seem like we're actually moving forward, or if we are, it's really slow. And uh, maybe if we just went back to the old way that we did things, you know, if it was, we were back 10, 12 years from now, you know, when things were great, it was so awesome, and everything was just humming and moving along, and, and, uh, and yet here we are um, out of this transition, and, uh, and things still seem to be moving very slowly. And also just, you know, well, I would do things this way, or if I was me, I wouldn't do that, or just these kind of thoughts and conversations that we as SunWesters were having. And it, it, it grieved the Lord. It was upsetting him that we were having, you know, those kinds of thoughts and those, those kinds of things going on. Um, and, uh, and he said to me that it's okay if it's, um, you know, if you're doing that because y you want to know what I want to do. You want to see what I'm going to do next. And so I was asking him just a little bit about that. And what he said and revealed was that SunWest has lift up, lifted up the name of SunWest. My people at SunWest have lifted up the name of SunWest higher than the name of Jesus. It's more about the church and what the church can do and what the church could accomplish than what Jesus is going to do in and through the church and through the people of the church. And that <laughs> was a hard thing. Mm -hmm. to hear. That was a tough word to hear from the Lord. And so um, as I shared that word um, with those of us that were praying, I, uh, we spent some time and we just repented of that on behalf of all of us, on behalf of the church and said, Lord, we're sorry for the times that our thoughts have led us to think that we can do this better and we know better. Or if we just did this, it would be better when really we need to keep our eyes firmly focused on you. In fact, we don't just need to keep our eyes firmly focused on you. The Lord showed me that we need to reach out and take his hand mm -hmm. and let him lead SunWest into the new things that he has for us, into mm -hmm. the new things that he wants to accomplish in and through this church to move his kingdom forward, not our kingdom. Mm. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. As Jeff shared some of those thoughts on Thursday, I'll, I'll be honest, I was, uh, I wept. It was, uh, <clears throat> it was one of those heavy moments, like, and as we repented, it, it wasn't formal. It, it was just this very raw moment of saying, gee, really? I, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. 
I don't want to be the guy who puts my church on a higher level than actually what God is calling us to do and be. Um, thank you, Jeff, for sharing. Thank you for speaking those things. I believe Jeff really has a, a voice here at SunWest, and Jeff is very careful uh, to always take time to be listening in prayer, not just praying, but listening for the Lord's response. And, and as he shared Thursday, I just thought, that's gonna, I think that's going to help us uh, just to be aware of that. And as we end the service today, when, don't, don't, don't be thinking that's now. <laughs> but as we end the service in just a few moments, we're, we're going to take that to the Lord as a body. That, again, in the exile, there's that place of things being broken down. I find there's two extremes uh, that we can land on in this exile ethos as we feel the heaviness of the exile. One is, is just a general sadness, uh, lethargy, a pain, a hurt uh, that can immobilize us. Um, because of the sadness, we're away from our homeland or things aren't going well in my life or our church or we're having difficulties. And the other, the other extreme we can face is we're like the baby Moses among the bulrushes. We're in denial. Church, I'm trying. <laughs> like I'm giving this my best shot. But, but I think sometimes there is a level of denial. Like we just, yeah, things are great. And some people, because they're just loosely involved, uh, maybe don't notice some of, of the issues. And I'm not here to, to wave a flag and say, oh, look, it's, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. It's... But we can't be in denial and say that everything's perfect. There are things that God is putting his finger on these days. And for us to move ahead, there's going to be a price to pay. We're actually going to have to pray. We're actually going to have to turn to the Lord and allow him to lead us. This is, this is a big deal. We're actually going to have to engage in community as Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem, the people, even the people of the exile had to, to a great degree, they had to engage in God's plans for them. On a more positive note, you'll see on the next slide here, Jeremiah 29, 11 are familiar words. Also the word of the Lord for those in exile. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And that's a big part of what this message is today about, is just getting a vision of where God wants us to go. In Nehemiah 8.10, Nehemiah said, This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'll tell you, this is a little bit of the difficulty in the midst of the exile, and we're feeling the heaviness of problems in our life, problems in the economy, problems in our families, issues in the church. It, we can easily just get overwhelmed. But Nehemiah, when they finished the building, I'm kind of fast forwarding a bit here just to make a point. In Nehemiah chapter 8, he says, you know what? Tuck away your sadness because 
this is a sacred day. We're celebrating that the wall has been repaired in, scholars say, probably 53, 54 days. Which, even by today's technological advanced standards, it's nothing short of a miracle that they were able to accomplish all this work in such a short amount of time. Nehemiah says, you know what, set aside some of the choice food that you have. Let's share that with others. This is a sacred day to the Lord. What he's saying is, let's party. And then this phrase is interjected. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I know if you're living in the exile ethos, the last thing you want to hear is, let's be happy and celebrate. Now, don't you know my life sucks right now? I'm having problems. There's, there's sickness, there's job issues, there's family problems, there's so much stuff going on in my neighborhood, in my community. I don't want to be smiling. Can't you see? I, I, just leave me alone. Let, he, let me be miserable. Now, listen, I'm not saying you need to fake something here. Again, we espouse a value of authenticity here, not SunWest. But listen, I believe God has called us to be authentic, but that doesn't necessarily mean authentically miserable. I'm sorry, like it or not, the scripture makes it very clear. It's actually one of the fruits of the spirit, the second listed, love, joy, yeah. And the scripture keeps bringing us to this exhortation. And and Nehemiah lets us in on a little bit of insight here. Today's a sacred day. Come on, celebrate. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many of you know when you're miserable, you lose your strength very quickly? There's something about reminding yourself of the goodness of God, embracing thankfulness, focusing on those things, and actually making a choice to rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Sorry, I'm plagiarizing scripture again. But there's this call to pull away from the exile ethos and look at what God has done. Yeah, things are rough. There are difficulties. But we remind ourselves with a thankful and joyful heart. Because I'll just let you in on a little secret. If the enemy can steal your joy, he's got your strength. True story. There's something about reminding yourself of the goodness of God to pull away from that ethos, that sense of heaviness, and rejoice in the Lord. Hmm. Secondly, in Nehemiah chapter 2, there's an excavation. Nehemiah answers the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Hmm. Of all the ways for Nehemiah to refer to Jerusalem, he refers to it as his his town of ancestral burial ground. Hmm. 
I just, I just find that very interesting, but very typical of Jewish culture that things are seen in the light, not just of our current moment, but our fathers and their fathers before them. There's this beautiful intergenerational mindset from generation to generation. He is God. A huge part of Hebrew culture. Not just the here and now, but the huge history that precedes us. And Nehemiah kind of taps into this briefly as he talks about rebuilding, excavating. It's, it's not just this moment. There's something worth redeeming here that is beautiful. Historically, it's an incredible thing. And Nehemiah kind of digs into the past. He kind of excavates the moment and says, let's, let's keep this rolling. Jerusalem, come on, that's a, this is worth fighting for. This is worth dying for. This is worth sacrifice and commitment. And as we're in this series of generosity, I'm reflective of Sunwest. I, I just had been here a few months and and I'm hearing again and again, this is our 20th anniversary that we celebrated uh, a year and a half ago. And because of that 20th anniversary, we celebrated, we had a, how many of you remember that weekend? I mean, that was powerful to hear some of those stories and look back on everything that God had done. And I, I'm just the new guy just reveling in the moments of all the stories and all the history and digging into the past. There was something so profoundly beautiful about it. And maybe we're not growing as quickly as we'd like. Maybe things aren't going as smoothly as we'd like here at SunWest. But does this mean we just throw out history? Does this mean we go with the scorched earth plan? Is it time to just say, forget all that stuff and, and let's start over? No, that doesn't seem to be the purposes of God. You'll see here on the next slide, we're wanting to focus on rebuilding, not raising. There's no need to flatten everything and start over. Again, if you're Brian Burke and you're living in Toronto, yes, there's a need to burn it all to the ground. There is a need for a scorched earth plan. We're starting to make a little bit of Progress. Thank you for leaving, Brian, and coming to Calgary. <laughs> but I want you to hear the heart of this thing, because this, again, this is the heart of Nehemiah. It's about honoring the past and looking hopefully to the future. Let me say that again. It's about honoring the past and looking hopefully uh, to the future. Thirdly, I want you to see from Nehemiah chapter 2 this season of examination. In verse 15, actually it happens a couple times in Nehemiah chapter 2. The second time is in verse 15. Nehemiah says, so I went up the valley by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back, turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. Uh, this, this is a great story because Nehemiah, nobody knows what he's doing. He just kind of sneaks out, does it stealthily at night. And he's just kind of touring around in the dark just to get a feel for the full extent of what needs focus, what really needs attention. I appreciate that very much what 
what Nehemiah is doing, just his heart to examine. I'm thinking of the words of uh, Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. Nehemiah is careful here to examine the wall. The wall, of course, symbolic of defense and strength and security. Now rest assured, as, as a pastor, as a pastoral team, we are forever examining, forever evaluating with the leadership team as well. We're forever examining, forever evaluating, asking God where he wants us to go and what he wants us to do and how he wants us to proceed. I think for many of us, it would serve us well to realize that spirit of examination has to start with our own hearts. I don't know if you remember that old saying, maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't, but to draw a circle and then stand in it and say, Lord, please start a revival inside the circle. That we look at our own hearts and say, God, what do you want to work on in me? Listen to this quote. It doesn't take a prophet to find fault with the church, but it takes a man or woman of God to love the church and invest in it. I think we're better to <clears throat> examine our own hearts more than we do even the church. Yes, we need to examine the church. Yes, we need to examine where we're at collectively. But personally, rather than finding fault all around us and pointing fingers, I believe it would serve us well to love the church. The Apostle Paul said it is a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Which is funny because it actually does have a few spots and a few wrinkles. But this is the posture, the position, the view of God that even though the church isn't perfect, let's invest in it. Let's, let's recognize that God's bride, this gathering, this is a beautiful, this is a glorious thing. And this was the heart of Nehemiah. He examined, but he was ready to commit to rebuild. These verses from David, familiar words. Search me, God, and know my heart. <clears throat> Test me and know my anxious thoughts. That beautiful, examining, introspective heart ultimately leads us to a place where we can rebuild and serve, not hopefully to be crippled as we look at all the things that need to be done, not to be overwhelmed by the circumstance, but to say, Let's make a difference. Let's rebuild. Here's where things get really positive. In Nehemiah chapter 3, I'm not going to refer to any specific verses, but if you'd like, here's your homework. Just take a few minutes and read through the third chapter of Nehemiah because it is the chapter where they're actually practically rebuilding. This guy is rebuilding this section of the wall, this family is working on that part. List by name the guy who's actually fixing the dung gate. I was thrilled to hear Bob talk about just the infrastructure that's being done at uh, Camp Evergreen, thinking, we're talking about that this morning. The dung gate. That's exciting. This is great scripture. But every detail 
of the city. And again, nobody's signing up for that job saying, I want the dung gate. I want to fix that one. But every single part of the wall had somebody committed to doing the work. And uh, to me, that is the beautiful message of Nehemiah. It's not just one man going to the king saying, hey, king, we need some money, some resources. Can you hook us up so we can fix Jerusalem? Although the king is gracious, although the king does provide some funds, the investment of Nehemiah is really in chapter 3. Again, mentioned as we're talking about Camp Evergreen, many hands make light work. It's such a beautiful message when the people of God pull together to rebuild, to restore. This is a major theme of Nehemiah, the, the sense of unity, the sense of community, the sense of people saying, hey, this is my city. I'm making an investment in this. And again, as you read through chapter three, and I, I challenge you to take the five minutes this afternoon and read through and see everybody doing their part to rebuild. And then there's a parallel scripture uh, found in Exodus chapter 36, and this is my final point, where there's enough. Because in verse 3, the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they're doing and said to Moses, you know what? The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work. Then Moses gave an order. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because they already had, what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Jeff, can you imagine this? We get an email on Realm <laughs> addressed to the entire congregation saying, please, Stop giving here at SunWest. We have so much money because everybody is giving that we don't know what to do with all this income. Can you imagine this, Jeff? Imagine having to restrain. That's the word. That, and so the people were restrained from bringing more. Can you imagine having to hire security teams to work the doors? Uh, sorry, you're bringing money in? No. No. No debit cards. No credit cards. No cash. Sorry, we just have too much money. What an unusual problem. We don't see this a lot at SunWest. <laughs> I, I, I'm just being honest. And this is where I'm throwing out a little bit of a biblical challenge. I... Uh, I was a few days late on my taxes. Just did them Friday. I don't mind doing my taxes. I just, you know, a little slow, just a few days behind. So, Cinco de Maya was tax day for me. And I found this really neat thing. I paid this much tax last year, but my refund is bigger 
I, I don't know how you can do that. How can you get a refund on more than you've actually paid? It's like, hey, I bought a new shirt. It doesn't quite fit properly. I'd like to return it. I paid $30 for this shirt. Oh, sorry about that, Mr. Griffin. Here, here's $50. Like, how does that happen? It doesn't happen. But a neat thing I notice is when you tithe, when you honor God, anything can happen. <laughs> I know some of you just, you don't want to hear any more tithing stories, but... This is the very spirit of Nehemiah. The people were so excited about giving. In the book of Exodus, same thing. They're building the temple. There's such an excitement from the people. I'm not talking people who slip in an occasional fiver or 10 or 20 bucks into the offering. I'm talking people, as you read through this, who are making significant personal sacrifice because they're so committed to the kingdom, to the temple, to the Lord, that they're bringing excellent gifts. And I'll, I'll leave this to Matt to kind of share some of the nitty-gritty with you. But statistically, roughly, one person in four, not even quite that good, more like one person, somewhere between one person in four, one person in five, are consistently giving to SunWest in a way that is close to a tithe. So as you look down your aisle, if there's eight people in your aisle, or 12, two or three of them are helping contribute in a significant way. And again, we're, we appreciate every gift. We appreciate how people stand with us. We recognize there's people in all kinds of difficulty and problems and financial issues going on. It's funny, I hear even from some of those folks who are in dire financial circumstances that they're still tithing. So it's not about excess. It's not about what you have or you don't have. I've even heard stories from people who have adjusted their lifestyle, moved to smaller places or downsized their car as they come in to trade their vehicle. People who are actually making choices to liberate some of their income so they can give more to this church or to other... I mean, that just blows my mind. That's what I see here in Scripture is people so excited about giving that Moses and the priests have to say, whoa, hold on a second. You're being far too generous. I would so love that problem. Because there's so many more families that we could help. There's so many more ways that we could creatively reach into the community. There's so many ways that we could, as a congregation, come to a place of greater growth and discipleship to equip you better to touch your world. And today, I'd just like to challenge you just with a little bit of that vision. You'll see on the next slide here, uh, church called Southland Church. It's in Steinbach, Manitoba. Any of you heard of Steinbach? Also known as Mecca. <laughs> Steinbach, of course, is a significant 
uh, Mennonite, has a significant Mennonite population. And Southland Church is a lovely middle-of-the-road evangelical church in Steinbach, Manitoba. Steinbach has a population of 13,000, 13, not 30. And this church is roughly 5,000 people attending every weekend. Uh, Southland has been a great influence because, again, in what is predominantly a Mennonite context, they're tearing it up. I mean, they're doing some great things for the kingdom of God. Uh, you'll see on the next slide here. You know that we've been focusing on prayer. Um, our deep stream gatherings the last number of months have been dominated by prayer focus. And again, the concepts of prayer summit and pray first, these are ideas that we've borrowed from Southland Church because this church that uh, just 15 years ago was barely 500 people has grown to be 10 times that size in the last 15 years that they've just focused on prayer. And as I've heard their story, something has stirred in my heart this past year. And I have to say, God has just really drawn me back to a place of totally depending on him. That our first posture in any situation isn't to, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to? It's not about figuring out. It's about praying first. It's about genuinely trusting God. And this is something that we've really wanted to embrace this past year. And I just want to commend all of you who have been coming to our deep stream gatherings, our prayer summits. We started our day with uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting this past year, 2017. And that first prayer summit we had, we had very close to 100 people join us just to press into God, to lean into God. And since then, we've had beautiful times of prayer. If you have not come to a prayer summit, I mean, I know it's more important that we're just praying at home, developing your own prayer life. But I just want to challenge you as a church. Our heart is to pray more. That's part of the vision, just to really not just be people who pray from time to time, but to develop a culture that we are a praying church. And as your pastor, I'd really like to lean in and say, join me. Join me in just leaning into God. I mean, if I can really exert leadership in one way, I, I want this to be it. That we're praying like we've never prayed before, trusting God like we've never trusted God before. As well, uh, we hope to be introducing these this coming fall, 2017, set free retreats. You've heard me say this before. I believe there's two kinds of people in the world, people with emotional problems and hurts and dead people. And I believe as part of our discipleship, it, you know, it's great. It's great that we're learning more scripture. It's great that we're Studying the word. I know some of our home groups are very zealous for studying the word. It's great that we're coming on Sundays and hearing the word every Sunday. And again, it's good to be a church that's centered on the word and discipleship. But our discipleship has to filter into every area of our lives. Again, I'm coming home from work on Thursday. I had my son with me, my 11-year-old boy, Samuel. And we're coming up to a red light. And I'd moved into the left lane to pass somebody several seconds earlier. And I was doing, like, I was doing the speed limit. I was maybe 
doing a tithe over the speed limit. <laughs> see, see how I couch that in biblical language? Nice, eh? And when I saw the light go red, it was, you know, still a few hundred meters away. I just lifted my foot off the gas. So here I am now in a 60 kilometer an hour zone, foot off the gas. I'm going 50, 45, just kind of coasting into the light because it's just turned red. And it's still a good distance away. And guy in a pickup truck comes from behind me. And I'd already passed the car on my right. And as I'm coasting, it's obviously ruining his day. He pulls around me on the right-hand side and with his window down, yells into my open window, why don't you speed up, pastor, hole? That's, uh, that's what I heard, anyways. <laughs> and, you know, I, I did well on this one occasion. I, I didn't say anything. I didn't yell back. I mean, the first thing I wanted to yell was, how's the anger management coming? But I refrained. And my son and I, as we drove, my son was like, really? Wow, dad, that guy was angry. You weren't going that slow. And there's a red light right in front of you. And it, it turned into a beautiful teaching moment. And just told my son, you know, some people are just, they're just angry. I'm just frustrated. He's not really mad at us. He's just taking it out on me. And we took a moment and prayed for that guy and prayed for his family and it was a beautiful moment for my son and I. But in my heart, I was grieved thinking, a lot of anger in this city. A lot of hurting, angry, frustrated, road raging. And not just in the city. There's a lot of that in the church too. Not this church, but other churches I've seen <laughs> here in Calgary. And uh, all I'm saying is, we could all use some of that healing. We could all use a little bit of that examining, a little of those X marks the spot moments where we're saying, you know what, I need to dig in here. I become easily frustrated, easily agitated, angry, hostile. Or discouraged, frustrated, depressed. Like it, it can manifest in many different ways. And I believe that Jesus wants to take our entire congregation. Again, it might not all happen this fall. I know schedules the way they are. You might not be able to make it this fall or this spring or next fall of 2018 or spring of 2019. It may take several years for all of us to cycle through a set free retreat. But I believe God wants every square inch of our hearts. If we're going to take every square inch of this city, we need to be wholly available to him. No pressure. Just putting it out there. And again, along with the set free retreats, I believe Sozo is something that already exists that 
that is ready to go to the next level as we begin to understand what God wants to do in our hearts. And then lastly, we've had a culture here at SunWest of hearing God's voice, being people who listen to him and don't just take the word of the pastor that we're listening to, the sermons, but we have this ability both as a community and individually to study the scripture, to pray, to hear his voice, and to move to that place of maturity where we all are connecting with God in a beautiful, deep, intimate way. Daryl was sharing with me just before service how he's out on his bike yesterday, his motorbike, and he had an encounter with God. Like this is what we're looking for is that we all come to this place where it's not just about getting to church or home group, but we all have this ability both in this context and just even riding our bike just to connect with the Lord. And that takes us to a, a deeper place of discipleship and maturity. You know what? We continue to pursue our heart to plant more campuses in the next few years here at SunWest, but as we plant, we want to be planting things that are incredibly healthy. We want to be releasing and empowering people who are walking in a level of wholeness. Like the people in the book of Nehemiah, people who are contributing, people who are committed to the sense of community, this profound sense of generosity. I believe that's where God is taking us as a community, into a place of increased, deepening health, that we would prosper even as our souls prosper, that there'd be something worth reproducing in every single one of us. And I bless you for that. I bless you for what God is doing in us, taking us to a greater place, a greater depth of maturity. And as you do so, I want to encourage you to function the way that Nehemiah saw where everyone is contributing everybody is engaged everybody is growing I'm going to invite the worship team to come I hear them sniffling and as they come I just want to invite you to stand and respond and in worship as they lead us and in a couple minutes I'm just going to come back and say a closing blessing and prayer with you Bless you. Thank you, worship team. Can we pray together? Father God, we're just so thankful for your son, Jesus. That we barely begin to know where to start. We do confess today with our hearts, with our mouths, Jesus, we love you. You are the one that our hearts adore. We do want to say sorry. We're sorry for those other things that have crowded in, that have distracted us, that have taken our attention away from the Lord Jesus. Father, even if our church is on a higher plane than than you. We, we especially want to say sorry for that. Father, our heart is very much towards you today. 
We don't want to just be playing church games. We don't want to just uh, be going through the motions. Everything in us recognizes how wonderful, how beautiful, how great you truly are. Father, would you forgive us for holding back? Would you forgive us for going a quarter of the way or half the way? We're very clearly reminded, God, today that we need to give everything to you. All that we are, all that we have, all that we ever will be. God, we just lay it down before you. We freshly give our hearts to you today. In our hearts, we set apart Christ as Lord. And Father, like the book of Nehemiah, we want to be people who are active in our faith, people who are alive in our faith, people who are wanting to restore and rebuild, people who are willing to examine our own hearts, to, to come out of this ethos, this exile mentality. God, we are your children. We are your people. And God, we want to respond today with, with generosity, with hearts that are just extravagant towards you. Lord, we dream of, of being in a in a kind of fellowship where we're overwhelmed with the generosity of your people. And Lord, so many of these people have already responded sacrificially. I just declare and ask your ridiculous blessing on them. For those that are struggling, not sure how to respond, not sure how to, to give or how to be generous, Father, I pray that you would somehow do a work in all of our hearts to take us to a deeper place with you where we respond to you wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, not a quarter of the way. God, even today as we worship, our sense is, yes, we want Jesus to be Lord of everything, Lord of every part of our lives. And so I decree and declare in this place and in South Calgary that Jesus is Lord that your son is the preeminent one, that he is over this church, he is over this theater, he is over this neighborhood, he's over all of South Calgary, over our entire city, our province, our nation. We declare that he will have dominion from sea to sea to sea. Jesus, would you start that in our hearts this morning? Would you take over areas that have never been surrendered to you before? God, we give you any unforgiveness, any bitterness, any hostility, any meanness, any anger, anything in us. Lord, if there be any wicked way in me, purge me of that, O oh God, and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, I thank you that your life is abounding into places it has never been before. Lord, we know that your presence is everywhere, but would you come with your life-giving touch? Would you restore? Would you heal the way that you rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem? Would you rebuild our hearts, God? Would you restore us in the weeks and months to come? And right now in Jesus' name, 
I decree and declare into every heart that is here, the healing of your God is coming. The life-giving presence of your God is coming. He will restore what moth has eaten, what rust has corroded, what previous generations have left you with, where you have felt incapacitated and broken and hurting. I declare the rich presence of God to come after you aggressively, to restore your heart, to restore your mind, to restore any part of you that lacks the stamping of the image of Jesus Christ. Father, would you come again? Would you visit your people again? Lord, would you give us a vision for the potential of what there is in the fullness of Christ Jesus, not just in our community, but in us first, God. Would you change our hearts? Would you change our minds? Would you heal your people, O oh God? We hear your word that says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. We welcome that today, God. Would you come and restore us? As in Nehemiah's day, when you restored the walls, Father, come again and restore these walls. Restore our hearts. Restore every area of our lives. And we give you thanks that we are being healed and made into the image of your Son, Christ Jesus. We're grateful for that. I thank you, God, that you're giving us a great week ahead. You're going to bless us. That everywhere we step, your favor is going to be upon us. We give you thanks. We give you praise. And we anticipate that your joy will be with us every step of the way. We pray with thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you. Have an amazing week. Go in peace.